0: Open again to John chapter 10. As we continue our look in the Gospel of John, and we continue from what we've studied over the last several weeks in the Good Shepherd uh, with the healing of the blind man, we continue in this narrative now with the instructions related to the Good Shepherd So I came across this interesting analogy as I was studying. It says, in research laboratories, biologists often base their studies on mice or rats because their bodily functions are pretty similar to that of humans. Other scientists comment that we are like ants or bees because they too are social creatures and live in highly structured societies. Psychologists have sometimes compared humans to dolphins because of the similar ratio of brain mass to body size. However, the Bible often compares us to sheep. There is no other animal comparison within the Word of God as it relates to His people. We are His sheep. The Old Testament is filled with verses that reflect this comparison. Psalm 100, verse 3, We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Psalm 77, 20, You led your people like a flock. Psalm 79:13, "We your people, the sheep of your pastor." Isaiah in 53 verse6, "We all like sheep, have gone astray." And Jesus also used this analogy several times during his ministry. In 9:36, Matthew 9:36, it says that Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in Luke twelve thirty two, Jesus consoled His disciples with these words, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not real fond of being compared to a sheep until you take a look at the shepherd. When you understand the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd, this comparison takes on An entirely different meaning. Sheep have often been called the dumbest of God's creatures. They're not really, in fact, dumb, but they are helpless and defenseless. They have a propensity to stray and wander away. They are considered to be very dirty animals. They're in constant need of having their wool cleansed so that they don't get sick. If they aren't taken care of regularly, they don't get the constant oversight, the constant leading, the need to be rescued, and the cleansing that they require, they will eventually die unnecessarily. So it is not necessarily a compliment to be compared to a sheep until we take a closer look at the shepherd. That's what we're going to do today. Jesus will continue to use the sheep-shepherd comparison in this passage. So what we need to do is we need to remember where we've been in John chapter 9, Jesus has healed the blind beggar, the man who's been born blind from been blind from birth. And Jesus comes across this blind man sitting outside the temple most likely, and makes a mud pack out of spit and dirt, places it over his eyes and heals the man instantly. Jesus disappears from the narrative. The man's neighbors and those who are accustomed to seeing him beg at the temple are surprised at this healing. Nothing like this has ever happened before. The Jewish people most particularly understood that only God had the power to heal somebody from blindness. And so they take this man to the religious authorities because they need an official comment about what has just taken place. The Pharisees interrogate the man and his parents and then the man a second time. And it's at the conclusion of this second interrogation where this unlearned beggar puts the Pharisees in their place by rightfully debating their logic that if this were not a man of God, he could not do such a thing. But they refuted that argument and then excommunicated this individual from the synagogue. The harshest penalty that you could ever put upon a Jewish person was to cut them off from religious Worship and the social way of living that Jews were accustomed to. So here's, here's the connection. Here's how this works. This blind man represents one of Israel's lost sheep. And here comes the true shepherd who has the ability and the desire to restore this lost sheep back into the fold where the official religious authorities are only willing to excommunicate this individual from the religious life that he was dependent upon. So that's the connection to what we're going to look at here. There's a lot of debate about where John 10 fits. Does it fit here? Should it be somewhere else? But as we see next week, we don't have time to get through this entire 21 verses that deal with the Good Shepherd this morning. But as we look at the passages next week we'll see that there is a connection as this healing is mentioned again. So let's read together John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now we're going to look at this in one section. We're going to look at three main parts of this, as you see in the outline, it's a very simple outline, far shorter than it typically is, but there's a lot in here that needs to be explained so that we get the context of what Jesus is talking about and hope to understand it from the audience's point of view. So the first thing that we look at here is the contrast. Jesus wants to paint a very clear picture about the difference between the true shepherd and the false shepherd. So he speaks in an allegory and he uses several metaphors in this passage to communicate the message about the true and the false shepherd. So again, in verses 1 and 2, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. It almost be the same thing as saying the individual who walks through the front door of your house, is welcomed and invited. But the guy who climbs up the window by the latticework or the gazebo, he's not so welcome in your home, right? There's something malicious about the way this individual wants to enter into your house. And this is the analogy that's being used here as it relates to sheep who are in the protective boundary of a sheepfold. So he begins this discourse with a very familiar saying, Truly, truly. He makes no mistake about the importance of what it is he's about to say. It's the same as saying, I solemnly tell you the truth. And it means that you need to listen very closely. Jesus would often say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It appears more in the other Gospels than it does in John. So the usage of sheep and the allusion to a door would not be out of place to his audience they would be very familiar with the images that he is using here as it relates to sheep and shepherd. Israel lived a very agrarian life for hundreds and hundreds of years, and shepherding was very, very common. Shepherds would graze their flocks during the day, and in the evening they would bring them back to a place of safety, and that place was the sheepfold. Some of these folds would be way out in the pasture, So the distance to travel from good pasture land back to the safety of your own fold or of the communal fold in the village could be reduced. And so there were these sheepfolds that existed all throughout the pastures in Palestine. This is a picture of a a typical sheepfold that you might find back in Jesus' day. It's a very simple stone structure, walls that are big enough to keep most predators out. There's a very simple doorway that has no opening or closing door. And this is where the sheep would enter in and they would settle down and they would have safety for the evening. So this is what you would typically see. Some of these sheepfolds might be much bigger in their circumference. It wouldn't typically be any taller, nor would they typically have any doors way out in the pasture land. So this is something that would be common to the audience that Jesus is speaking to. They've seen these all the time. They've probably even put sheep in them and taken them out. Probably some shepherds that are in his audience. But in addition to this kind of a sheepfold, there was also, as I mentioned, a communal sheepfold that could be much larger. This makes sense as we listen to what Jesus has to say. So it wasn't uncommon for several different sheep, flocks of sheep and shepherds to come into the same sheepfold and find safety and security for the evening. It was not uncommon for the shepherds to hire a watchman, which doesn't get introduced until verse 12, excuse me, verse 3. Who would stand guard at the door and keep out predators or others who would seek to come in and bring harm to the sheep that were in the fold. So some of these were much larger. Some of these in a much bigger circumference. You might have a rustler who would try to get in the furthest away from the door and actually steal the sheep and take them and then take the wool, take the meat. And the shepherd would lose a part of his flock. It was the watchman's job to protect the door and to keep those who would climb in from some other way out of the fold to protect the sheep. So in this allegory that Jesus is making, sheep represent the Jewish people and the sheepfold represents the nation of Israel. Now some would argue that the sheepfold would represent the church and others would argue that the sheepfold represents heaven. But if you look very quickly down at verse 16, Jesus will say, as we'll look at next week, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So in verse 16, Jesus identifies that the sheep and the sheepfold are related to the nation of Israel, but there is another fold, that isn't here yet, that's going to come, and when they come, they will know my voice, and they will be one flock with one shepherd. That's you and I. That's the Gentile church who would be called into relationship with Christ. As we studied months and months ago in the book of Ephesians, God miraculously has grafted the two, Jewish and Gentiles, into one. And this is an allusion of what's going to take place down the road when the gospel is shared amongst the Gentile nations. So it's not the church, it's not heaven. As we understand from the security of our salvation, Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me I will keep, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. So if it related to the church or heaven, it would mean that saved people could somehow be taken away, which we would have to refute as we understand Scripture. So in this allegory, in this analogy, number one, the religious leaders are the false shepherds. Jesus calls them thieves and robbers because they have not entered the fold through the door. They do not care for the sheep and are only interested in how the sheep can benefit them. So they will fleece the flock for their own personal gain. You've heard that terminology, haven't you? That individual was fleeced. That's what it relates to. It relates to an individual who takes this, this flock of sheep or this herd of cattle and he uses them for personal gain and brings great harm to the flock and has no regard for what it is he has done. There are many, many instances in the Old Testament where God spoke through the prophets and He denounced the religious leaders, for the way they were caring for the flock that God had entrusted to them. There's mention of this in Isaiah. There's mention of this in Jeremiah. The most prominent is found in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. The entire chapter is devoted to God's chastisement of the religious leadership and God's promise that in the future he himself would seek the lost sheep And heal those that were diseased. It's a very interesting chapter. I want to take a little snippet out of that. We're going to look at verses 1-5. through Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock... You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The disease you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them." They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. This is what Ezekiel was told to say to the shepherds of Israel, you are not doing what you're supposed to do. And when God says woe to you, you better believe it means look out. God is not happy and He is going to deal with that. By the way, the, the, the way the religious leadership cared for the people and how they led them into idolatry and how they led them to disobey the clear teachings of the Lord is the reason that they were conquered by enemy nations and they were taken away into captivity. This is the reason this has taken place in the life and in the history of the nation of Israel and God regularly and repeatedly warned His people that they must repent and turn back to Him. So in this instance, as it relates to the blind man and as the religious leaders were unable to refute the fact that a healing had taken place, but in turn excommunicated the man who was healed out of the synagogue rather than celebrating this great thing that God has done, they've done the worst thing they could do to a Jewish person by expelling them from the synagogue. False shepherds have been around for a long long time and they continue to exist within our culture and in our church today. Jesus cautioned in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, "Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves." Paul would warn the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20:29, 20, "I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock." So the religious leaders are the false shepherds. Number two, Jesus is the true shepherd. The great contrast here is the way Jesus is shepherding the people. What it is He has come to do, the way He has healed, He has sought, He has restored, He has bound up those that were sick and scattered away. And in this instance, Jesus describes very briefly His two chief duties as the true shepherd. Letter A, He calls the sheep. Verse 3, it says, To him the doorkeeper opens, that is the shepherd, and the sheep hear His voice, and He calls His own sheep by name, and they lead them out. So in this reference of a doorkeeper, that would most likely relate to a very large communal sheepfold where there would be multiple flocks and when this was the case, the shepherd would come to the door, the doorkeeper would let him in because he's a shepherd, and he would begin to call his sheep and they would come out and they would follow the shepherd. When the shepherd comes and calls his sheep, they respond. This is a metaphor to man's response to God's divine effectual call to salvation. Notice what it says here. It's very subtle, but very, very important that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. He calls them individually, and it's reported from historians that sheep shepherds in the Near East would actually name their sheep. Now, in the Western civilization, they wouldn't do that. They herd the sheep with sheep dogs or with other kinds of animals, and they whistle, and the dogs chase, and they don't have any names. But the shepherd would come up and he would begin to call his sheep by name, Bob and Mary and Joe and Tom. And they would hear his voice and they would respond to his voice and they would come to the door of the sheepfold. And when all had come forth, he would lead them out. The application of this being a divine effectual call of God to salvation is consistent with what we've already studied in the Gospel of John. John 6.37 All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6.65, and he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Here's the way we need to understand this. As we understand the connection, the allusion to the sheep-shepherd motif is this. There is a personal, intimate relationship between the shepherd and his sheep, So much so that when the shepherd calls his sheep, they not only hear his voice, they recognize his voice, and they come to the door, and the shepherd knows their name. I've seen sheep in a pasture. When we exit our subdivision, there's a small little farm where there's a couple of dozen sheep, and you know what? They all look the same to me. I couldn't tell one of them apart. But these shepherds know their sheep so well, they tend to them so carefully that they can recognize them and identify them. It was said that when a shepherd would bring his sheep into the sheepfold, before he would let them in, he would give them a once-over. He would inspect their their fur. He would pull out any pricker burls. He would bandage any wounds. And then he would allow them into the sheepfold. There was a tender compassion and care that took place between the shepherd and his sheep. It's just amazing to me to think that the God of this universe, who has created a hundred and some billion people by most recent estimates, not only knows our name, but he knows every hair on every head of every person that he's ever created. God loves his sheep. God cares for his sheep. And so he calls them in this intimate personal relationship so that we could know him as the great shepherd. So he calls the sheep. Letter B, he leads the sheep. After calling them out, he leads them out. And verse 4 says, When he puts forth all his own, not until they're all collected and gathered, He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. The shepherd leads and the sheep follow. Out of the fold where they had been, he leads them to the pasture that he has scouted out in advance. The shepherd knew the safest way to lead his flock So that it wouldn't be dangerous. So it would be less likely that there would be one that would get stuck or need to be rescued or be harmed or injured in some other way. So the shepherd would scout out the route. He would lead his flock to green pastures so that they could feed in safety and in security under the watchful eye of the shepherd. In salvation, God leads us to the green pastures and the quiet waters of His Word, and in His presence. Psalm 23, 1-3, through 3, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Think about that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, when you and I want, when there's a lack of contentment, when there's a restlessness within us, There's most likely some kind of an interruption between the intimacy between us and the Father. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Sheep won't eat if the water is too loud. They need a calm and a soothing environment in order to feed and to be watered. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. There's no coincidence within the terminology that we read, the references that are here, the motif of the sheep and the shepherd, our defenselessness, our dependency, God's perfect provision, the way He gently and securely leads us, His people. In contrast to this intimate, personal relationship, sheep won't just follow... Any voice. I could go into that little pasture across the street from our subdivision and I could try to get friendly with the sheep. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to run because they don't know my voice. They don't know anything about me and they would not feel safe or secure. This is what Jesus says here in verse 5. A stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Once we have learned the voice of our shepherd... We will not leave him to follow someone else. This is what Jesus is talking about here. You often wonder why professing Christians get deceived and they follow some kind of a cult. They leave the church and they go into some other kind of religious experience. It's most likely explained in the reality that they really don't know the shepherd's voice. They might think they do. They might hope they do, but those who wander away from the faith and don't return never knew the voice of the shepherd. It indicates that true believers will remain faithful. While we may wander like sheep, we will return back to the shepherd, just like the prodigal son who left the father and went out and squandered his wealth, came to his senses and came back home. Now, in verse 6, John adds what is likely a post-event commentary, this little note here in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So that phrase, their figure of speech, applies to a wide variety of of literary forms. In the other Gospels, it would be defined as a parable, but that's not the word that John uses here. It includes proverbs, parables, maxims, similes, allegories, fables, riddles, narratives, embodying certain truths. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. He's speaking about this very certain truth about who He is, and they simply don't understand it. How could they? They don't know the voice of the shepherd, right? Jesus has said this repeatedly through the Gospel of John. You don't know my voice. My people know my voice. They hear me. They respond to me. And so if they were his sheep, if he was truly their shepherd like they claimed God was, they would have heard the voice of Jesus and they would have repented of their sin and they would have followed him. When they are able to grasp something of what Jesus is teaching... With their limited understanding, they simply use what they understand as a means to reject who Jesus is and what Jesus claims about his mission to come and set the people free. So we see the righteous leaders are the false shepherds. Jesus is the true or the good shepherd. And on these last few verses in this section, Jesus is going to expand on the metaphors. He's not necessarily explaining them, but he's expanding them a little bit. And as he does that, the metaphors shift just a little bit. They're not totally changed, but they just shift a little bit to mean something different than they did in verses 1 through 5. So here we see, number three, that Jesus is the door. Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus knows they don't understand it, so He is going to make it incredibly clear that not only is He the true shepherd, but He is also the door of the sheep. So as this metaphoric language has changed a little bit, Jesus was the shepherd who would go in and out of the sheepfold. Now he is the door of the sheepfold. He is both the good shepherd and the door of the sheepfold. The metaphor for the sheep has also changed slightly. No longer does it relate to the Jewish people in general. Now it relates to the redeemed. Because the unredeemed are not going to go through the door, are they? The unredeemed are going to try to get to God by climbing in some back door, by hoping and believing in a second alternative to Jesus being the door. And so now we have these slight changes. In the smaller remote sheepfolds like I showed you a picture of, a shepherd would often lead the flock into the sheepfold and then he himself would sleep in the door and in that sense, he became the door of the sheepfold. A sheep didn't get out unless it walked over him and nothing came in unless it walked over him. So this is what Jesus means about him being the door. This is very, very important because it represents Jesus' messianic authority. He is the door to the sheep. Not only the shepherd of the sheep, but He is the door of the sheep. And this is consistent with what we're going to look at in John fourteen six, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Me. When you look at that verse, it cannot be any clearer than what we read in clear language. No one no one comes to the father except through him the door doesn't matter how religious you are doesn't matter how kind you are doesn't matter how good you are doesn't matter about your your morality it only matters about what you've done with jesus and your recognition that he is the messiah and you have repented of your sins and you by faith have given your life to him and the finished work that he has accomplished on the cross He holds exclusive authority as the only path of salvation. Well, you know, that sounds pretty limited. Yeah, it is. Sounds kind of discriminatory that He's the only way. Yeah, it really is. So there's no other way, not according to what Jesus said. If you're going to get to the Father, if you're going to enter into His sheepfold, you're going to do so through the door. This is another one of the I am statements that John records for us in his gospel. Jesus says, I am the true shepherd. Just as he declared himself to be the bread of life and the light of the world, here he proclaims himself to be the door of salvation. Now in contrast to that reality, we read in verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not Hear them. Now, the usage of all can be a little bit misleading because we would understand that to mean every single one of Israel's shepherds in the past have been like thieves and like robbers. Well, not all of Israel's prophets and not all of their leaders abused and took advantage of the people. Men like Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah, and there were some righteous kings that led the people. So there's some confusion about what it means and we really can't say with certainty what it means. It could be that it means all the false shepherds that he's been talking about. Israel's wicked kings, their corrupt prophets, their corrupt priests and their false prophets. Or it could be all of those that have come falsely proclaiming themselves to be the Messiah when in fact they were not. It could relate to the Jewish religious hierarchy within Jesus' day. We really don't know specifically what Jesus means about that. But what is very, very clear is that Jesus is the true shepherd and those that have come before Him are not. They have taken advantage of the people. He calls them thieves and robbers because they don't have the best interest of the people in mind. And the true people of God did not hear their voice and did not follow them. You know, there's always a remnant of the faithful. Always. Always. If you go back and study Israel's history, even though it seemed like everybody had turned away, there was still a remnant. In the book of Judges it says, and each turned to his own way and did what was right in their own eyes. Yet there was still a remnant of the faithful. So Jesus is the door. He is the door of salvation. Jesus declares again in verse 9, with the same ego am I in the Greek, I am I am the door. If anyone enters through Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So just as the sheep enters into the safety and the care of the shepherd when in the sheepfold, so too do the people of God when they come to Him for their salvation. We come into His safety. We come into His protection. We come into His provision. Because we have now entered into His kingdom as the sheep of His sheepfold. Jesus restates the central theme of this message at this point in time. I am the door. There is only one way to receive our salvation and that is to go through Jesus. There is only one means of eternal life. There is only one source of knowledge of God. There is only one Fount of spiritual nourishment, there's only one basis for spiritual security, and that is Jesus alone. He's not one of many ways, he is the only way. In this verse, Jesus says, and if anyone comes to the door, he will be saved. That does not contradict the individual calling by name that we read about in verse 3. What we read about in verse 3 is God's sovereign call to salvation. And here we're talking about if anyone responds to that. It's man's perspective on salvation. So I came across this really great story, this analogy that was given by a former pastor named Donald Gray Barnhouse. And he explains this tension that exists between election and man's responsibility to choose. Here's how he expresses this. He was talking, having this conversation with a woman who was struggling with understanding this. And here's what he says. Imagine that the cross has a door on it. All you were asked to do is go through that door. On one side, the side facing you, there is a written invitation, whosoever may come. You stand there with your sin upon you and wonder if you you should enter or not. Finally you do, and as you do, the burden of your sin drops away. And you are safe and free, joyfully you then turn around and see written on the other side of the cross through which you have just now entered the words chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So there's not a contradiction in the individual calling by name and the if anyone statement that Jesus makes here. When we enter into God's kingdom, we have spiritual safety and security. We have nourishment for our souls through his word and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that has sealed us for all eternity as a part of God's family. We have access to God and his blessings and his promises. And in this metaphorical sheepfold that Jesus is talking about, we can go in and out under the protection and safety of God, not needing to fear the marauding false shepherds. Those who are wolves in sheep clothing who seek to come and do harm. And then in contrast to the salvation that Jesus offers, we see in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The one who wants to come in the back door of the sheeple, the one who wants to climb over in the darkness of night, He comes to steal and kill and destroy and bring harm. It's kind of like the boyfriend who encourages the girlfriend to sneak out of the house at night so they can go and do what's forbidden. He doesn't have her best interest in mind, does he? He's not really concerned about her well-being. He's only thinking about himself. And so this is the... Contrast that we see here in the false shepherds, the one that Jesus is addressing in this group of Pharisees who are now a part of this gathering. So when someone other than the true shepherd tries to get at the sheep through any means other than the door, he doesn't have the best interest of the sheep in mind. And Jesus will call him a false shepherd who seeks to do harm. This is true of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And it can also be applied to our enemy, Satan the spiritual father of these false shepherds that Jesus is referring to. Just a few weeks ago, Jesus made this scathing indictment against the Pharisees in John 8.44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar, and the father of all lies. This is when Jesus was telling them that you claim to be followers of Moses and yet you seek to kill me. You are of your father, the devil. But notice that Jesus doesn't desire that we just have life. We don't get life by the skin of our teeth. We don't get just enough to make it through, right? We get abundant life. That's what Jesus has in mind here. That word abundant describes something that goes far beyond what is necessary. All we need to do is just get our ticket stamped so we know that we're going to go to heaven. But that's not the kind of life Jesus has in mind. He wants for us to experience an abundance of life for all of eternity and for the time that we're here on earth as well. This life that we live should be a life filled with great joy because we are the sheep of His pasture. He is the Good Shepherd who cares for us, who takes such loving care of us and provides for everything that we need. In the intimacy of our relationship with God, we experience the reality that He is the Good Shepherd, that He is the True Shepherd. And that brings to us a state of contentedness and joy that will stand up against any hardship, any difficulty, any circumstance that we face. You know, it's really easy to get beaten down in this world, isn't it? Hardship after hardship and difficulty after difficulty. And it's not uncommon for Christians to lose heart because they just feel like they can't take another step. But what we forget is that not only has God saved us from our sin and promised us the hope of eternity, the confident hope of eternity, God has promised to walk with us every step of the way. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? Do you believe that's true? Is that the experience of our journey with him? If we don't experience the intimacy in our relationship with our Father, it's not because He's not doing His part. It's because we aren't giving to Him what He deserves. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for being the true shepherd and as we'll hear in the verses that come next, the good shepherd. And that's even not enough to say You are an amazing shepherd, spectacular, glorious, perfect in every way. You lead us on journeys that we would not necessarily choose for ourselves, but we know that you are with us. We journey under the loving guidance of the one who loved us first and loves us best. Would you draw us into the closeness of that relationship even now? Would you Enable us as we see You for who You really are. Lay everything down and enjoy the great God that You are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.